Great to see you. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, we've been looking forward so much to uh, being in the church here. Uh, it's great to see the inside. Very impressive seeing the outside yesterday and then coming in and seeing a church gathered uh, in the name of Jesus. We so enjoyed being with the leaders yesterday. Wonderful time of fellowship with them and been looking forward to uh, opening the word with you this morning. We were in Maastricht earlier, well, last week, I guess we should say now, and uh, enjoyed uh, a couple of, or three days down there, and then we've been here for a few days and back to London tonight. But we've been coming to Holland for many years, to the Netherlands, and uh, it's a blessing to see new churches coming to birth, new crowds of people making new friends with you. So I do pray that I might uh, be a blessing to you this morning as we uh, look into the Word together. I'm going to be speaking to you from John's Gospel, and if you want to follow, it's in John and chapter 2. I'm just going to read a few verses at the beginning of that chapter. Jesus says here, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They've no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour hasn't yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now. Take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, I didn't know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. When the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you've kept the good wine till now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he invaded people's lives with mercy and kindness and blessing. Lord, we thank you that we gather here now to a living Jesus, one who triumphed over death, one who comes to greet us with mercy and provision. So Holy Spirit, we, we call upon you right now. Please come, rest upon us, help us to hear God speaking to us in our hearts. Help us to recognize the loving voice of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to draw near to you as you come drawing near to us. Thank you, Father, for your great, great kindness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some weeks ago, one of the elders of the church that I've been based on in, in Brighton for many years uh, came to church, and uh, at the door as you enter, you're given a little leaflet which tells you what's happening that week. And uh, he went and sat actually up on the, the bleachers, uh, high up and round the side with his wife and children, and settled them down. 
and uh, he opened the, this week's announcements and saw what's happening. His name is Steve Horn. As he sat there, he opened it and he read, and it says, oh, today Steve Horn is preaching at Heathfield. <laughs> uh, goodbye, dear. Goodbye, children. He ran out of the door. He got into his car, and he drove the about 25 miles to Heathfield. And he reckons he got there before they finished. And uh, quite an experience, really. I remember once I was on uh, the platform at Stonely Bible Week, which uh, we, in the end, when we ran Stonely for about 11 years. In the end, there were 30,000 people just under who used to come to Stonely. And I remember I was preaching uh, through a series in the evening meetings. And uh, as the evening drew near, worshipping, we were enjoying God's presence, uh, and we sat at the end of the worship time and uh, my friend Nigel Ring was giving a few announcements and I was sitting at the back of a very large platform and uh, as I sat back there and I was just about to speak I opened my Bible just to look at my notes uh, for the last time before preaching and as I looked at them they were last night's notes I thought no, no, no where, where and uh, and they're not there. They're not there. And I've got to preach to thousands of people. And I'm, I'm no, where are my notes? And uh, I remember looking out at these thousands, I mean, thousands of people. I thought, oh Lord, what do I do? And I just kind of got off the platform very carefully. And uh, we used to be camping acres and acres of uh, churches and tents and caravans. And I got outside and I ran up to where my, where my stuff was. And uh, there, were, there were ladies out there with their babies in prams, you know, and they're going along to What's Terry Virgo running up there for? And I run to my friend, I run back again. And as I came back in, I'd forgotten there was one other item. I think a girl was singing a solo or something. I forgot what it was. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. And uh, I came and sat down and, you know, just calmly sat there. Uh, and uh, you think, well, okay, Terry, so, so why are you telling us these silly stories? Well, it's an interesting story we just read. And it's about a crisis that's about to break. It hasn't broken yet. There's a wedding party going on. And everything looks fine. Everybody's enjoying themselves. It's a lot of fun. But under the surface, there's a crisis. They're running out of wine. And this is, this is a tragedy. This will be the wedding that is always remembered. You've got to think about this as uh, Cana, I've had the privilege of going to Israel a couple of times, went to Cana, it's a bustling little town now, but in those days it would have been a tiny village, and I guess most of the village would have been there, uh, they would have been looking forward to this event, this wedding coming up, and it would always be remembered as the wedding where the wine ran out. Terrible shame, what a disaster. And so just under the surface, they're running out. On the surface, everything's fine. But there's a crisis, and, and, and someone's just whispered to Mary, we're running out of wine. And so this, this is in the Bible to help people understand that Jesus can help when you're, you're running out. You're running out of answers. You're running out of hope. Maybe you're running out of money. You're just running out. People don't know yet. People think, hi, how fine, I'm doing fine, but underneath you're thinking, well, it's not really fine. We're in trouble. No one knows yet, but under the surface we're in trouble. I don't know if I can make it. 
I don't know if I can keep up this Christian life. I'm not sure I've got what it takes. Maybe you started a university course and you think, I don't know if I can do this. It's too tough for me. Maybe you're a single mum and you think, I don't know how to cope. How am I going to make ends meet? How can I do this? Maybe you're a very successful businessman and, and at work they're saying, hey, we're very impressed with you, but we're giving you a, a higher a goal to go for. We want to promote you to this and, and we'll need more of your time. We need more commitment from you. And your wife's saying, oh, darling, the children, and you know, we don't see so much of you. And the, the pastor's saying, hey, we want to use you more as a small group leader. And you're thinking, how do you do all this? I'm not sure if I can keep it up. And we hit such times. We hit such times as Christians where everything on the surface looks fine. Under the surface, it's not doing so well. And maybe you've just shared with someone you know very well, like someone would come to Mary and said, Mary, we're running out. Maybe you've just spoken to a close friend and said, I'm really worried. I don't know if I can keep it up. I don't know if I've got what it takes. And people meet such occasions you're running out of peace of mind can we really do it and the Bible is written to help us it's put here for us to understand that Jesus can come and solve those sort of situations in fact it's interesting we're, we're left in no uh, secret as to why John wrote his gospel he tells us at the end in John 20 it says this therefore many other signs Jesus did and it's interesting John uniquely of all the gospel writers calls seven of Jesus miracles signs the other gospel writers don't use that word but John does and he's saying well seven of these miracles he did it's pointing to something more it's not just a miracle it's pointing so at one point Jesus fed thousands of people and then he stood up and said I am the bread of life Another time he opened the eyes of a blind man he said I am the light of the world and so some of the signs he did pointed to something else miracles with an added message and it says here that he recorded these signs he said therefore Jesus did many other signs performed in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name so there's two things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God hearing the evidence you come to faith it's not a, uh, faith is not a step into the dark it's a step into the light and it comes through knowledge and awareness of what he's done and so these signs are recorded to help us understand that he is the Christ but not only to know that he's the Christ but by believing something supernatural happens it's not just that I argue the case and say, look, Julius Caesar really did live. Okay, he lived. Okay, Jesus lived. No, no, it says, and believing you might life. There's something supernatural about when you come to believe in Jesus. Things start happening to you on the inside. You step out of the dark into the light. You come into his kingdom. You get set free from all sorts of things. And John says, that's why I've written these things. That's why I chose, of the many things that happened through Jesus' life, these are the things I've chosen to write about so that you might come to believe. And so that's the background. And here Jesus is speaking to us, knowing that for some of us, we're in this situation. I don't know how I'm going to go on. And maybe you've, you've told a close friend. 
I mean, difficulties really. Well, let's come to the story. Let's see how God wants to speak to us. Well, there's a wedding at Cana, and uh, the commentators tell us that these wedding parties would last seven days. I mean, they knew how to party, eh? They would last seven days, these wedding events. So the village would gather for this uh, great celebration, and uh, this, on this occasion, they began to run out of wine. The first thing I want to see is this, that Jesus was happy to be at a party. I wonder if that's your concept of Jesus. Sometimes our, our thoughts about Jesus, we've constructed a kind of very religious Jesus who never be seen at a party. Now, you know, we go to church for Jesus, we're here for Jesus, then when you close the door and walk out of here, you get on with real life. Now, Jesus came to be in our real life. He's happy to be at a party. He's happy to be part of it. I've never been to a Jewish party, but I've seen, I've seen film of, uh, of Jewish parties, and I've seen how the guys very often arms round one another, and they're dancing away. And uh, I can't imagine Jesus in a corner looking down at them. I can imagine he was just happy to be there. The Bible says, I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it in all its fullness. He didn't say, I've come that you might have meetings and have them abundantly. <laughs> he wants to come into our life. He wants to be in your party and for you to be happy to have him there with you. And he happy to be with you. Now that wasn't Satan's idea. You may remember when Jesus began his public ministry, he was immediately taken into the wilderness and tempted by Satan, the Bible says. And Satan had a different idea. Why don't you do a sign? Where? Well, at the temple, of course. Throw yourself down from the temple. Let the angels save you. Let that be a sign. That's very religious. Now, Jesus said, no, thank you. I want to do it at the party. It says here this was his first sign. And he did it at a party. Isn't that amazing? Jesus wants to come right into our life. And he did the most extraordinary first sign here at a party. He wants to be right involved in all of our lives. He's happy to be at a place where he's not even the center of attention. The married couple will be the center of attention. He's happy to be in that context. The Lord of glory. <laughs> happy to be at somebody else's party. And to do his first sign there. To serve them. It's amazing that Jesus did that. I'd like also, also to mention, it wasn't just any party, it was a wedding party. Sometimes if you go to a wedding you'll find that the minister will make some reference to this wedding, say words such as, and at the wedding of Cana, Jesus by his presence endorsed, and so on. Yes, he did. He endorsed marriage. He was happy to be at a wedding. Now we need to say that these days. God is for marriage. I don't know the scores in the Netherlands, but in England, marriage is going out of fashion. More and more people are not bothering. They're just moving in. Uh, so a guy will say to a girl, would you like to? And she's saying, yes, move in with me. Mm. <laughs> and so it's not, it's not because it's hugely successful. It's not because the statistics prove that's the easy way, that's the good way. No, actually, the statistics tend to say it doesn't work so well. But nevertheless, people are very scared of commitment. But Jesus loves commitment. Jesus loves marriage. God is for 
marriage. And the Bible says quite plainly at the beginning, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's commitment, there's determined commitment of saying forsaking all others. Wow, this is a big deal. Forsaking all others, yes, I give myself to you. God loves that. God loves commitment. It's interesting. Why, why would Jesus do his first miracle at a wedding? Well, do you remember how John the Baptist introduced Jesus? He, he, John the Baptist drew huge crowds. He led probably the biggest revival in Jewish history in the whole Bible. He led a huge revival. Crowds went out to hear him. And in fact, they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Because so many people are flocking to you. And his answer was this, no. I am the friend of the bridegroom. Strange answer. So he introduced Jesus as the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom's coming. So Jesus is described as the bridegroom. Again, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when we read the end of the book. And what does it tell us? It finishes at a great bridal supper. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's all heading towards a great marriage. And so maybe it's not so surprising that he's happy to do his first sign at a marriage. He's, maybe this is why it is a sign. He's happy with this whole thing of marriage, of being involved, a committed, for us, eternal relationship. He wants us to know that. It can be actually in our very marriages that we can get scared. Maybe you said to someone, I'm scared, I don't know what's happening to us. We're running out of wine, we're running out of the joy I don't know, the excitement seems to have gone and he's beginning to look elsewhere. She's beginning, oh God, what's going to happen to us? It's into that kind of setting that Jesus can speak. He came to a wedding. He was happy to be in a wedding. He's happy to be in a party. He wants to share your life with you. Jesus comes to share our lives with us, not just to share an hour or two on Sunday morning, but to come right into all of our life. So that's the first thing I see here. Here's a wedding party. Jesus is happy to be there. Second thing I see here is the very strange conversation he has with his mother. Did you notice this? She comes to him and she says, they're running out of wine. To which he replies, woman? You think, woman? That's a funny way to speak to your mother. And if you use the New International Version, you'll notice it says, Dear woman. But you can take a pen and cross that out because it's not in the Greek at all. It's just not there. They've softened it. It's a bit nasty. We put in dear. <laughs> but if you look at the text, it just isn't there. It's just woman. You think, wow, it's a funny way to speak. There are other words he could have used. It's the same word he uses when he's speaking to the woman at the well who's had five husbands and is now living with somebody else. He calls her woman. You think, what is your mother? But at the same time, actually from the, from the cross, when you think, how can he ever even think about anybody else? He looks down and sees Mary and sees his, his disciple John and he says to Mary, woman, behold your son. So I don't want to read too much into it, but it's a strange way of speaking just say woman. But if that's strange, what follows is even stranger because it says, what have I got to do with you? Well, that's a funny thing to say. 
Apparently it's very difficult to translate. The literal translation would be, what to you, to me? So you'll find different Bibles translated slightly different, and here it says, what do you have to do with me? The NIV says, why do you involve me? If you think about it, if you know your Bibles quite well, and familiar with the Gospel stories, you'll think, where have I heard that before? What have you got to do with me? Where have I heard that before? Jesus? What have I got? No, do you remember where it is? I'll tell you where it is. It's where Jesus confronts demon-possessed people. So he crossed the lake, and there's, there's legion. And, and Jesus comes to him, and he shouts out at Jesus, What have I got to do with you? We are many, legion. You know, what am I going to do with you? Uh, no, it's like, you are totally other than me. And I can't imagine Jesus said it to Mary like that. What am I going to do with you? I don't think he said it like that. But he is nevertheless using the same... You think, why on earth? What's he talking about? Well, let me, let me suggest why. I think, well, what, what was happening there? All right, just ponder it a bit. Jesus we're told from earlier stories even as a little child you recall he got lost or at least they lost him he was at the temple and they made the, they were making the journey back from Jerusalem going back up to Galilee and as they're making the journey they, they expect Jesus is in the extended family moving along with the whole crowd of them making the journey and they suddenly realize hey he's not here he's not with uncle or aunt or he's not here and they go back and they find Jesus in the temple and it says this, he went with them and was obedient to them. The Bible says Jesus was innocent. He was a perfect child. And Mary would have had this perfect child in her home. And again, if you read the Gospel stories, you'll find that actually as the story goes on, there are other brothers and sisters, the Bible says plainly. But you'll find that Joseph kind of disappears gradually. Or at least he doesn't appear later in the stories. And again, most of the scholars would say he probably died young. And at the end, Mary is there, but Joseph isn't. But there's family. And so for some time, Jesus, having grown up through childhood, through teenage years, he would have been a perfect teenager. Let's just think about that for a moment. Oh, perfect <laughs> teenager. All right. And he would have lived right through his 20s, because it was when he was 30 he began his ministry. So Jesus would have been in Mary's home until he was 30. Joseph may be gone, looks like he's gone, dead. And so I'm sure Jesus was like a rock to her. He would have been full of kindness, full of thoughtfulness, tenderness, the kind of person that we know he was, innocent, beautiful, kind. And I'm sure he was to her everything she needed. She, he would be there for her. That's the background, really. Now Jesus has begun his public ministry. Now he's been baptized. The voice has come from heaven. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm delighted. The Spirit comes upon him, and he begins his public ministry. He begins to gather disciples, Peter, James, John. And he's at this wedding, and it says in the story I read to you, he was there, and his disciples were there. So there's an overlap an overlap of, yes, a family, a wedding, and let's go, don't forget the wedding, yeah, I'll be there. But his public ministry's begun, his disciples have begun to gather, 
and there's this overlap he's at this wedding but he's now begun to fulfill his public ministry and Mary turns to him and it's as though he's saying to her Mary you need to understand there's a line drawn now it's not like it used to be you need to understand it it's a different relationship now and D.A. Carson who's a famous commentator says this the expression he used is at least a measured rebuke he goes on to say this we must not avoid the conclusion that Jesus by rebuking his mother however courteously declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice agenda or manipulation alright just read that last bit again he's declaring at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice agenda or manipulation he's saying it's not like that anymore Mary I can't just be here for you anymore and that's what Carson is saying this is what's happening now why do I want to labour this why am I making a point of it well to be honest because I think sometimes we're a bit like this we think Jesus is, is there for us you know I've got my job I've got my family my home and I've got Jesus and he's so helpful you know you kind of hit a problem he's there you know, parking space please Lord oh great here he is <laughs> and he's kind of there he's kind of there for us and uh, he's really helpful and sometimes we can kind of you know like the genie uh, Jesus this one please you know. and sometimes people come to church and they become part of a church and, and, and after a while sometimes they fade away and you say hey wait, what happened Where did oh I, Jesus didn't do anything for me you can sometimes hear that. He didn't do anything for me. As though the whole deal was he was there to do stuff for you. And, and it's, it's very clear here, listen, that's not the way it is. You mean, you mean he won't help you? Well, actually, that, if we read the story, he helps them phenomenally. He solves their problem with gallons of wine. He helps. But do you notice how he helps? It's very important we notice what's going on here. This is very foundational to what it is to be in a right relationship with Jesus. To understand the way he helps and the way he steps in. You see, he's not there to be domesticated. He will help, but see how he helps. He helps by the following. He gives instructions. He takes over. That's how he helps. He takes over. He gives instructions that are specific unreasonable and require faith and obedience that's how he take, That's how he's going to solve this problem it's not like we've got a problem okay, okay Mary I'll run out and get a few bottles here you are it's not like that that's not the way he solves it the kingdom of God is breaking out the rule of Christ is going to be established you can discover phenomenal things if you take him seriously but it means stepping out of your comfort zone. It means stepping out of the way you think, the way you evaluate, what you expect. You step out of what you expect to happen into what he says is going to happen. And so he begins to give instructions that are absolutely amazing. And the extraordinary thing is that Mary says, she does so well, doesn't she? She says, whatever he says to you, do it. And that's pretty good when Jesus has just spoken to her like that. 
woman, what have I got to do with you? I mean, many of us, I'm leaving the church, she speaks to me like that. I'm not coming back here. I mean, she does so well. She, she bounces back quickly. Whatever he says to you, wow, what a great attitude. Whatever he says to you. Do you know, it's almost that's nearly the gospel. It's not the whole gospel, actually, but it's ever so important. It's like that is the kingdom of God. Whatever he says to you, that's what marks out the people of God. They've, they've, got, they've got an understanding of whatever he says, do it. Do you know that's why this church is here? This church wouldn't be here without that. That's in some lives here. It wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. People have stepped out of their comfort zone and they've understood whatever he says to you, do it. And people move home and move from one continent to another and uproot and take children. Why? Why? How come? How come? Because whatever he says. And you start to live a completely new way. You live a way you wouldn't... You see, it's Jesus taking over. And his instructions, as I said, are specific. And they're unreasonable. And it requires faith and obedience. So imagine, you know... <laughs> He says, right, we're out of wine. Jesus is right, get the water pots. Uh, no, Jesus, I don't think you understood. Um, we're not out of water, we're out of wine. No, no, no. Get the water pots. No, no, Jesus, listen, listen. I don't think you're really listening, Jesus. Um, there's no problem with water. We've got plenty of water. Listen, Lord. It's wine, we're out of wine. Are you listening? It's wine, we want wine. Okay. Get the water pots. It's unreasonable. It's like, I don't understand. To which Jesus could say, which part of get the water pots <laughs> don't you understand? So you may have come to church this morning, you might say, I don't know, I've met someone, they invited me. There's something about her. She's really peaceful, and I don't know. I've never met someone so kind and thoughtful. And she said, "Come along." And I don't know. You all seem to be like it. Can I have peace? Like you've got peace? Well, we'd like to talk to you about Jesus dying. On no, 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 no. I'm not interested, really, what happened two thousand years ago. I want peace. You've got peace. You seem to have peace in this twenty-first century. We want to talk to you about a cross. No, I want peace. So you, you've got to learn that what he says is so important. Your problem is much bigger than you realize. Your lack of peace is because of some massive things that are out of place. It's not just how you feel. It's not just having a sunny temperament. You are out of step with the God who made you. You're in trouble. You've got judgment hanging over you. You don't know what death is going to bring. You don't know what... You, you are in a terrible place. And God in his infinite mercy has provided an answer for you. And the answer is to send his innocent, perfect, spotless son who came and died on a cross. And the Bible says this, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. Jesus on the cross took the sin of the world on himself. It was smashed and cursed and judged in your place. We've got peace because we put our trust in that. Because he said it, put your trust in that. Look to the cross. 
Understand, he took away all guilt, all shame, all judgment. He bore it. You put your trust there, you'll find, hey, peace comes. Peace comes flooding into your life. But you think, well, my problem is I need peace. No, your problem is you've got to get right with God and you've got to listen to what he says. And these people thought, well, we've got, we're out of wine. We're not interested in water, Jesus, but this is the way he's going to solve it. We've got to learn. You do it Jesus' way. And it's interesting how Jesus made disciples, and disciples were people who took him seriously. And so when he, early on, when he first met them, and he borrowed one of their boats, and then he said, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, we've caught nothing. nothing. He said, well, go out again and throw the net the other side. And they could have said, we fishermen, you carpenter, forget it. <laughs> but it says this, nevertheless, at your word, we will do it. Because you said so. And they threw the net in. Wow, they get so many fish. And they begin to learn to live that way. Whatever he says to you, do it. And so this body of men, this group of men and women, in the gospel stories, they begin to gather to Jesus and do what he says. So he, he makes the calls. He, he says, do this, do this. And so you find that, that he says to them, right, they say, when, where are we going to do the Passover? He says, well, go through to the city. You'll find a man carrying uh, a pitcher on his head and uh, follow the man. I think, follow a man with a pitcher? But by now, they're getting used to it. You know, here they go. Oh, there's the guy. Follow him. And there's the room, and it's ready. And, and said, and what do you want? Well, there's a donkey. No one's ridden it yet. Just go along and say, the Lord has need of it. Oh, there's a donkey. Oh, listen. What are you doing? The Lord has need. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole it's just all the time it's all the time guys learning I accept what he says so when I first became a Christian I wasn't told that I don't come from a Christian background my parents were not Christian my sister became a Christian away in London came home I've become a Christian I said well, so I've been born again what are you talking about and I argued, I've never heard such a thing. We argued and talked. And at one point, she talked about Jesus being alive, and I suddenly knew it was true. That very night, I knew, I knew it. He's alive. And there's my sister speaking to me, not a stranger knocking the door. I, I think, oh, she's so changed. And I knew, it, I knew it was true, and I knelt down in my home that night, and I asked Jesus into my heart. But... I didn't quite understand the message. It was almost like I said to all the other idols in my life, move over, let Jesus in as well. So I had Jesus, and I had this and this and this and this, and all kinds of stuff, and Jesus. And you know, it didn't really work. I knew I was a Christian. I, when, I, when I asked Christ to come into my life, I felt it happen. And to my amazement, I cried. I thought, what's going on here? I felt it happen. But my Christian life was a misery. And I was, I was not doing well. And can I keep this up? And then one Sunday, I was just in church on a Sunday morning, and the guy preached. And I, and I, I suddenly realized that God wanted my life. And, and I'd never really understood that before. And I'm in the meeting, and I, for the first time in my life, I felt a kind of fear of God. I thought God said to me, are you mine or not? And with it was a kind of 
it's now or never there's a real awareness of the awesomeness of God I want your life do I have your life and it just captivated me and I went home from that meeting and I got on my knees at home and I said Lord I give you my life I, I, and I lost all kinds of friends my parents said to me what are you doing you're losing your friends what are you doing and I just let Jesus be in charge it was a bit of a battle at first when I think now gosh I had no idea what God had planned. I had no idea that God had got an adventure for me. I don't want all these silly sins and things I wanted in my life. He said, come on, I want your life. But I said, okay, Lord, I'll give you my life. You have it, whatever. Because it was a mess anyway. It wasn't some bold thing. It's like, oh, you have it. But I really, I really let him take over from that day. From that day on, as far as I knew how, I let him make the choices. Have you done that yet? Have you done that? Have you said, Lord, just take my life? Whatever he says to you. Have you, have you done that yet? You see, I, you could be like I used to be. Oh, Jesus, come into my heart. It's great having Jesus around, but he's not really running things. You run things. It doesn't work, does it? Because it's not the kingdom of God. It's not God being king. You're making the choices. You think, ah, it's unreasonable. No, I won't do that, I'll do this. And sometimes you can, even, you can even do that, you can come to a kind of crisis where maybe you were baptised. Maybe there was a time you said, Lord, I, I, I'm just going to be baptised, I give you my life, and, I, and you kind of mean it. And what can happen is that you start that way, and then you're going on through life, and then you see someone or something, or you think, wow, I want that. And you say, I'll just take the wheel now, Lord. <laughs> I'm coming here because I'm not sure if he would let me have that but I want it and, and you take the wheel back and you start steering and then you do another choice and another choice and, and now you're running it really there was a moment when he used to be in charge but you're in charge now and then his presence seems to fade really the sense of the nearness of Jesus the excitement of what it used to be like when you first came to him kind of fades because it's no longer hearing him doing his will he wants he wants your life that's how it works whatever he says to you he did solve their problem <laughs> boy he solved their problem by the end they got gallons of fantastic wine and so much so they said how come you kept this great wine till now he even lets them get the praise. You know, you are, yeah, well, we're like that. You know, we kept the best wine back. It's like, you look good. Jesus makes you look good. It's breathtaking. It's amazing. People say kind things to me. You think, what a joke. He makes you look good. He's so kind. He is so kind. But the way you learn is you let him make the call. If you've never done that, if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I really want to step into your kingdom. I, I really want you to be king of my life. I want this, this kingdom you're breaking out over all the world where lives are saying yes to you. When we're on this adventure, when we start looking as we have here, we love not only the Hague, but we love the nations and, and who knows which nation I might go to. I wonder what God's got for me. I wonder what God's, well, not God's planned for me. Not that this is my life and Jesus helps me a bit. But no, no, he's the one who's in charge. Has he got your life yet? 
Let's close with prayer. Shall we stand to pray? Maybe the band could come up, please. Let's just draw near to God. I'd like us each one, really, to kind of forget your neighbour, my brother, my sister. Maybe you came here this morning and, and you, you were thinking, oh boy, I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Maybe, maybe you've told someone close to, to you, I'm in trouble. I'm running out of hope. Nobody else knows. You greet lots of people, maybe have a coffee afterwards, and you're nice and chatty and friendly. But under the surface, you think it's just not working for me. Why don't you come to Jesus this morning? Maybe you've never, maybe you've never heard, maybe you've never come to him in your life before. You've, you've just come into our meeting place this morning. You can come to him. But it, it, it is saying, Lord, have my life. I give you my life. And when you do that, amazing things start happening. Amazing things happen. Sometimes you don't understand, but he'll give you instructions and they will be specific. And he will expect you to do what he says. And you'll know such a privilege, such a wonder that God is with you and for you. Why don't you just speak to him right now and say, Father, I do, want, I do want to be yours, absolutely. Maybe, maybe it's as I described, that you could say, well, I, I know I did this once before, but I think it's slipped from me. I think I've, I've drifted into something less than that. I, I think I run my life now. I'd love to get back to the excitement of when he seemed so near when it really was his. Why don't you just come to him even now and say, Lord, I, I come to you right now. Please have mercy on me. Please help me. Please come to me. Let him meet your need let him transform everything it happens by letting him have control Father I do pray right now for everyone who's hearing my voice I pray in the name of Jesus for your presence in their lives I pray you help us to respond in love to you I pray that you will draw us to yourself afresh if you, if you know God's spoken to you this morning and you're, you're saying I just want to come back to him or I want to come to him for the first time like I did that morning I'd love to pray over you I'd love to pray for you and why don't, why don't you just, just now even, even before we sing just would you slip out of your your row and just come and stand here I'd love to pray over you alright just come right now if you know God has spoken to you please just come
and let's pray over you let's say yes Lord I mean business now I need you I want you I want to live for you just come and stand here and let's renew your experience of Jesus just come while we wait right now just say excuse me excuse me I just need to be with God maybe you want to bring a friend with you let's just stand here just come right now would you please thank you Jesus thank you Some could come and pray with them. If some, please come through. Let's just, uh, that's right, come down to the front. That's right. Come right round. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. That's right. That's right. And while we're singing, maybe others would like to come as well. We're just going to sing a song of response to God. Our time's gone, really. But we're just going to sing, and then after that, we'll, we'll pray. So while we're singing, if you feel, yeah, I want to come, please come and stand with these who have come. Let's respond to Jesus. Please come right through.